is Elon Musk stepping down. Hmm. More digital ID crap. Yeah, I know. It never stops. It never stops. And the CIA and Google. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we got that and more all coming up tonight. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I missed Saturday. We had lots going on. I could not get live, so uh, we did not have a show Saturday. But we're back. It's Monday. It's uh, the beginning of Christmas week. Uh, yeah, Christmas is coming up, uh, what, next Sunday, right? I think it's Sunday. Yes, next Sunday is Christmas Day. Wow. All right, so we got all that and more coming up. But before we get to that, we have to get to this. Miko Update. Miki, Miki, Miko Update. Ning, 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 ning. Now, by way of explanation, <laughs> I, uh, I had an adventure today. I do not have a motor vehicle. I have a Perdana, but it's broken, and I can't afford to get it fixed. So for now, it just sits in the driveway. So everywhere I have to go, I grab it. <sighs> I know, but such is life. So I had this little project I wanted to do today, and that meant I had to take three different grabs to two different places and get back home again. Anyway, I finally managed to put it all together, and uh, yeah. So why am I bringing that up for a Miko update? This is why. There she is. <laughs> Doesn't she look thrilled? Not. <laughs> Yes, so we put together our Christmas tree. There is already a gift under the tree. That is little Miko, who, uh, there you go. You can actually see the whole tree in that picture. If you're listening on the podcast, check out our rumble.com, the Jay Sheldon show over there, and you can uh, see the video replay. And, uh, yeah, she was having a, actually, she was having a ball. She loved the tree. I thought she might be afraid of it, but she wasn't. And, uh, of course, <clears throat> this is what she didn't like. It, look at the <laughs> look at the look on her face. It's like, take this off of me right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, we did manage to get one sort of half pleasant shot of her with her rainbow uh, reindeer ears on. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the tree is up. Miko is cool and. Uh, She's doing great. Our Miko update, of course, is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com. What is it? It's a monthly subscription service for your pet, your dog. And every month, you will get a themed box full of goodies, a couple of toys, sized for your dog. You can check box, uh, small, medium, or large. And uh, they are sized properly for your dog. And you also get a couple of bags of dog treats. Really good, all natural, good for your dog. You can specify also if your dog has any allergies. Uh, meat, fish, chicken, whatever. Just check the box and, and they will make sure you don't get that. And also in the box you will find a dog chew. Every month you'll get an exciting box full of goodies Check out the website and use our special link and you will get a free month uh, when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. That's BarkBox.com slash Miko. BarkBox.com slash Miko is, uh, is the URL. There's a link in our show notes. It's the top link there. And uh, I think it says Miko recommends BarkBox. So click on that link. It'll take you to this site. And uh, 
sign up. It's in the U.S., U.S. territories, and Canada, by the way, unfortunately. They do not yet ship overseas. They're working on it, they tell me. So get your butts in gear, (laughs) BarkBox.com. No, they really are. They they hope to get international shipping uh, next year in 2023. So that would be great. I will keep you up to date because I know I hear from you. I hear you. I know you want to order, but you can't because of where you live. What you can do, by the way, is get one of those forward shipping services. That'll get you a U.S. address, and you can have it shipped. Or maybe you got a friend in the U.S., and you can ship it to them. They can ship it to you. Why not? All right. Depends on how good a friend they are, right? <laughs> okay. Here we go. You ready? Elon stepping down. Hmm. This is from TheBlaze.com. And uh, earlier today, Elon actually put up one of his famous polls and asked whether or not, where is it? Here you go. Should I step down as head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. Now, to be clear, because the New York Times, of course, is already lying about it, he is not giving up Twitter. He's stepping down as the head of Twitter. He will appoint some other CEO, I assume. He will still own Twitter. He will still have a massive influence, I hope. But surprisingly, and I have to believe this is because of bots, um, people voted yes. 17 million, 17 and a half million votes. Wow. Uh, yes, 57.5%. No, 42.5%. Wow. Elon Musk proclaimed he would step down as Twitter's CEO if the users of the popular social media platform demanded his removal. He conducted the poll uh, Sunday at 6.20 p.m. his time, uh, asking more than... He has 122 million followers. Can you imagine? Uh, he should. He asked if he should abdicate his leadership role on Twitter. Should I step down? And uh, he said he will abide by the results of the poll. Now, he's done other polls in the past, and he has done whatever the public or Twitter users voting has decided. Uh, at the time of, po- of this article, nearly 5 million Twitter users voted in Musk's poll. About 58% called for Musk to step down versus roughly 42% who wanted him to retain his Twitter CEO duties. And uh, the poll is now closed. And the people said, yes, you should step down as head of Twitter. Uh, a Twitter account suspected that Musk already has a new CEO picked out. Look, folks, Elon Musk is not stupid. Elon Musk didn't get where he is today by being a fool. Elon Musk didn't get where he is today by not having a plan. Trust that Elon Musk knows what he's doing. (laughs) Musk said, no one wants the job who can actually keep Twitter alive. There is no successor. (laughs) Uh, There has been rumor, I saw on on Twitter just before I came on the air tonight, that uh, there is a rumor out there that uh, Donald Trump's Son, one of his sons or son-in-law is being considered. Oh, that would make the left's head spin around 360 degrees. I don't know if that's true. It is just a rumor, but that would be a very interesting take 
on Elon backing away from uh, from Twitter. True who? Yeah. Uh, anyway, what do you think? Should he go? Should he stay? People uh, people have been reveling in the freedom and the ability to have a free speech on Twitter, which, as you know from the reports with the Twitter files, didn't exist before. Am I, is my mic very low tonight? Because in my headphones, it's very low. I don't know why. Hmm, seems all right. Okay. Uh, here we go. I got a new one. <laughs> California. Oh, California. Gavin Newsom, that idiot, and all the stupid things they do in that state. People are leaving California, by the way, in droves. Droves. Your tax base is going away. Now, get this <laughs> cool article again from The Blaze. California County has voted to study succession from the state. The whole county, they didn't vote to succeed. They voted to study succession from California, citing surging crime rates and an increased cost of living. There's the moron now. <laughs> Frustrated residents from one of California's most populous counties recently voted to study succession from California, citing surging crime rates, the increasing cost of living, that according to an AP report, by a narrow margin, alienated voters in San Bernardino County, that is a huge county, voted for local officials to study the possibilities of forming a new state. The 20,000-square-mile county is home to about 2.2 million people. Some residents in the county feel that failing Democratic policies have destroyed the county's, uh, county's affordability, increased homelessness, a rise in crime. California residents pay among the highest taxes in the country. The Board of Supervisors Chairman, Kirk, uh, Kurt Hagman, which placed the proposal on the ballot, said there is a lot of frustration overall regarding the state's allocation of funds to local governments. According to Hagman, it's been a rough few years for San Bernardino County residents. Wow. Can you imagine? We would have the state, what would it be, the state of San Bernardino? I suppose. Maybe not a bad idea. That way you don't have to actually move out of California if you like the weather or the location or the area, but you just can't stand the ridiculous politics. Well, there you go. All right, digital ID, that's our next topic. Yes, we talk about it a lot because you know how we feel on this show about digital ID. Run away, fight against it, let your representatives know you want nothing to do with this crap. Oh, it's going to make your life so easy and so convenient. Everything will be right at the tip of your fingers. A digital ID will make life simple and easy. And a digital ID will allow the government to track every single thing you do. Not only track it, but if they don't like what you're doing, they'll shut it off. Mm. Well, good old India... Is that like the most populated country on earth? I wouldn't be surprised. The population of India is huge. 
Indian citizens that don't link account numbers to digital ID, here we go, will face financial blacklisting, forcing you to use a digital ID. There you go. Income Tax Department, Government of India. If you're tired of censorship and cancel culture, check out Reclaim the Net. That's where this article comes from. India's Income Tax Administration has warned citizens that they should link their permanent account numbers. They call them PANs there in in, uh, India. It's like an IC or an ID. Um, Link them to their Aadhaar biometric identification numbers before April 1st of next year or risk their PAN, that's your permanent account number, becoming non-operational. Oh boy, can't access your money, can't access anything because you didn't sign up for your digital ID. In India, PAN is required to perform a multiple amount of financial activities, creating bank accounts, depositing money, trading stocks, buying or selling real estate. Uh, Indians can link their PAN to Aadhaar on the department's website after they pay a thousand, what is that, rubles? Which is about 12 USD. It is mandatory now in India for all PAN holders who do not fall under the exemption category to link your PAN with Aadhaar before... March 31st, 2023. The date is approaching. Don't delay. Link it today. The Indian Income Tax Department wrote on Twitter. So you see, you can't fight back against it because it's already happening. And you have no choice. Because when they passed these kind of laws, did they even or did they just decide it was a regulation they would enforce without getting the government's approval? That's also possible. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, uh, because people didn't speak up when they were chatting about this, when the government, the legislature said, hey, should we do this? And everybody just went, "Mm, yeah, okay, oh, look, a squirrel. And now you got it. And now they can track everything you do. And if they don't like what you do or what you say or what you post, they shut you off. You think I'm kidding? The day is going to come, my friends. The day is going to come. Mark my words. Mark this show. December 19th, 2022. At uh, 15, 16 minutes in. Mark that down. I will be proven right. You will be sorry. All right. Uh, (laughs) And to just dig that rabbit hole a little deeper and to put my tinfoil cap on just a little more solidly. This is a great article. It's from The Intercept. It probably won't surprise you because I know my audience. They see this kind of crap all the time. The CIA's venture capital arm partnering with ex-Googler startup to Safeguard the net. Yeah. Trust Lab, which was founded by former Google exec for content moderation, (laughs) will identify online harmful content, including toxicity and whatever they consider to be 
misinformation. It was founded by a team of well-credentialed big tech alumni who came together in 2021 with a mission, make online content moderation more transparent, accountable, and trustworthy. A year later, the company announced a strategic partnership with the CIA, their venture capital firm. They have a venture capital firm? Why? The basic pitch is simple. Global spanning internet platforms like Facebook, YouTube, so thoroughly and consistently botched their content moderation efforts that decisions about what speech ought to be deleted and uh, what should be turned over to completely independent outside firms, firms like Trust Lab. Well, the founder, Tom Siegel, described content moderation as the big problem big tech can't solve. Maybe you shouldn't solve it. Maybe you should just keep your mitts off of our speech. So anyway... They've teamed up with the CIA's, the CIA's venture capital company. <sighs> Securing technology for the CIA's thorniest challenges, not those of the global internet. Read the rest of this article. It's from The Intercept. The link is in our show notes. It's a free article. And uh, as usual, it'll tick you off. Unbelievable. Seriously unbelievable. Every time I, you know, when I'm putting this show together and I see these headlines, I read these stories, it's like, are you kidding me? We're, we're really going there? And yet, people just put up with it. Nobody screams and yells. All right, let's get off the heavy stuff, huh? I don't feel like doing any more heavy stuff tonight. And do some light stuff. Cool stories. <laughs> oh, I love this one. Hold on, because uh, there's all kinds of ads that pop up. The link is in our show notes, but um, it's it's an ad site. It's It's got a lot of ads, so be prepared. Anyway, this is a very cool article. Look at that. More ads. I'm trying to wait for them to clear out before I switch over cameras to the cameras uh, to the other one. Okay, here we go. Ready? Check this out. Quantum experiment breaks reality by seeing two versions of reality existing at the same time. Whoa. Yeah, okay. Pop-up ad, go away. We're aware of how skewed our perception of reality is, how we see the world shaped by our senses, societies, our knowledge. And you may want to rethink your belief that science will always provide you with an objective reality. Physicists may now verify a hypothesis. A hypothesis at this point is all that Nobel Prize winner Eugene Wigner initially put out back in 1961. Wow. The setting of the experiment dubbed, uh, it's probably Wigner's friend, not too difficult. You begin with a quantum system that's in superposition, which implies, <laughs> bear with me, this doesn't get too difficult. It implies that both of its states 
exist concurrently at the same time up to the point of measurement. In this illustration, the polarization, the axis on which a photon spins. Hazel Lisa liked the stream. Thank you, Hazel. Good to have you along. Thanks. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a while. Good to have you back. All right. Is both horizontal and vertical. When they measure it, the system will collapse and the photon will be stuck in one of those two states. This gets a little wonky, but read the article. It's fascinating, and it's almost like a Schrodinger's cat thing. Is the cat in the box alive or dead? It's both until you open the lid and find out what the answer is. It goes along with that. But anyway, bottom line is they have actually done a quantum experiment and they were able to see two versions of the same reality existing at the same time. Think about the implications of that. That is insane. Read the rest of this article. It does get a bit sciency. So if you're into that kind of thing, you'll probably enjoy it. If you're not, you know, it's one of those too long didn't read things. But it's amazing. It really is. The data in here and the places that science is taking us, absolutely insane. All right, got one more for you, and then we're going to start a brand new story tonight. This one's cool. And whether or not you are a fan of sword fights, <laughs> any one of those maybe online games with weird weapons and cool swords, this one's cool. A 19-year-old blacksmith has forged a treasure sword from a four-and-a-half-billion-year-old meteorite. Whoa! He's 19 years old. An American knifesmith forging knives since he was 12. Wow. Although young, his art and his vision are not small. In the process of forging swords, he learned how to incorporate precious metals from meteorites into the sword. The young knife maker is bladesmith Tristan Dare from Idaho in the U.S. And for the past five years, he's been crafting artistic swords. Interestingly, he often incorporates ancient metals into the blades. And his latest work, I'll show it to you in a minute, it's called Nebula. It was created from one of the oldest meteorites ever recorded. Decorated with opals, gold, and an ancient mammoth tusk. Look at that. Wow. That is impressive. Beginning of 2022, Dare bought the meteorite Mwonianalusta from Germany, started forging this amazing sword with a water pattern. The meteorite is more than 4.5 billion years old and one of the oldest meteorites ever found. Hit the earth about a million years ago, contained a liquid iron core which cooled down after four ice ages, <laughs> and it was discovered in 1906. 
There are only about 40 fragments left in the world, and as you can imagine, it ain't cheap. Dare did not disclose how much he spent on forging the Nebula Sword, but he said it cost several thousand dollars to buy the materials. The iron crystals on this meteorite have perfectly symmetrical octahedral molecular patterns, and those patterns that are natural often disappear during the fire-forging process. But Dare says he's found a way to keep them. He's preserved in all the octahedral swords he's forged. As far as I know, he says there are less than 10 people in the world who can do this right now. Man, that is insane. Let me get back up here and show you that again. Look at that thing. Forged, among other things, with all of these jewels and opals and gold and a mammoth tusk <laughs> from a four and a half million year old meteorite. That's insane. <laughs> Man, can you imagine owning that? Wow. Wow. The value on that thing would be just out of this world. That's crazy. All right. Here we go. Where are we? I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get oriented here. Oh, yeah. It's time for our book. We read books on this show. And uh, we've done that from almost the very first broadcast, over 300 of these shows we've done. Yeah, we just hit 300 a little while ago, by the way. Yay us. And uh, anyway, we, um, we read books, and we just finished Bambi. It was an amazing, incredible book. Loved reading that so much. I hope you enjoyed it, too. Uh, but what we, uh, we're going to do redo what we did last year because people I got a lot of reaction, and people loved it very much. And uh, that is one of my, in fact, my favorite Christmas story, which is from Truman Capote, and it's called A Christmas Memory. Now, this is Monday, so we got Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday night, which is our Christmas Eve show, and uh, so we're going to split this up into three parts. This is uh, Truman Capote, and this is A Christmas Memory. All right. Imagine a morning in late November, a coming of winter morning more than 20 years ago. Consider the kitchen of a spreading old house in a country town. A great black stove is its main feature, but there's also a big round table and a fireplace with two rocking chairs placed in front of it. And just today, the fireplace commenced its seasonal roar. A woman with shorn white hair is standing at the kitchen window. She's wearing tennis shoes and a shapeless gray sweater over a summery calico dress. She's small and sprightly, like a bantam hen. But due to a long, youthful illness, her shoulders are pitifully hunched. Her face is remarkable, not unlike Lincoln's, craggy like that. And the tinted by the sun and wind, it's delicate, too, finely boned. And her eyes are sherry-colored and timid. Oh, my! she exclaims, her breath smoking the window pane. It's fruitcake weather. The person to whom she is speaking is myself. I am seven. She is sixty-something. 
We are cousins, very distant ones, and we've lived together, well, as long as I can remember. Other people inhabit the house, relatives, and though they have power over us and frequently make us cry, we are not, on the whole, too much aware of them. We are each other's best friend. She calls me Buddy, in memory of a boy who was formerly her best friend. The other Buddy died in the 1880s, when she was still a child. She is still a child. I knew it before I got out of bed, she says, turning away from the window with a purposeful excitement in her eyes. The courthouse bell sounded so cold and clear, and there were no birds singing. Ah, they've all gone to warmer country, yes, indeed. Oh, buddy, stop stuffing biscuits and fetch our buggy. Help me find my hat. We've thirty cakes to bake. It's always the same. A morning arrives in November, and my friend, as though officially inaugurating the Christmas time of year that exhilarates her imagination and fuels the blaze of her heart, announces, It's fruitcake weather. Fetch our buggy and help me find my hat. The hat is found, a straw cartwheel corsaged with velvet roses out of doors that's faded. It once belonged to a more fashionable relative. Well, together we guide our buggy, a dilapidated baby carriage, out to the garden and into a grove, a grove of pecan trees. The buggy is mine, that is, it was bought for me when I was born. It's made of wicker, rather unraveled, and the wheels wobble like a drunkard's legs. But it's a faithful object. Springtimes we could take it to the wood, fill it with flowers, herbs, and wild fern for our porch pots. In the summer we pile it with picnic paraphernalia and sugarcane fishing poles and roll it down to the edge of a creek. Oh, it has winter uses, too, as a truck for hauling firewood from the yard to the kitchen, a warm bed for Queenie, our tough little orange-and-white rat terrier, who survived distemper and two rattlesnake bites. Queenie is trotting beside it now. Three hours later, we're back in the kitchen, hauling a heaping buggy load of windfall pecans. Our backs hurt from gathering them, how hard they were to find, the main crop having been shaken off the trees and sold by the orchard's owner, who are not us. Among the concealed leaves, the frosted, deceiving grass, crackle, a cheery crunch, scraps of miniature thunder sound as the shells collapse, and the golden mounds of sweet oily ivory meat mounts in the milk-glass bowl. Queenie begs to taste, and now and again my friend sneaks her a mite, though insisting we deprive ourselves. Oh, we mustn't, buddy. If we start, we won't stop, and there's scarcely enough as it is for thirty cakes. The kitchen is growing dark. Dusk turns the window into a mirror. Our reflections mingle with the rising moon as we work by the fireside and the firelight, and at last, when the moon is quite high, we toss the final hull into the fire and with joined sighs watch it catch flame. The buggy is empty, 
and the bowl is brimful. We eat our supper, cold biscuits, bacon, blackberry jam, and discuss tomorrow. Tomorrow, the kind of work I like best begins. Buying. Cherries and citron, ginger and vanilla, and canned Hawaiian pineapple rinds, and raisins, and walnuts, and whiskey, and oh, so much flour, and butter, and so many eggs, spices, flavorings. Why, we'd need a pony to pull the buggy home. But before these purchases can be made, there's the question of money. Neither of us has any except for skinflint sums persons in the house occasionally provide. A dime is considered very big money. Or what we earn ourselves from various activities. Holding rummage sales, selling buckets of hand-picked blackberries, jars of homemade jam and apple jelly and peach preserves, rounding up flowers for funerals and weddings. Once we won 79th prize, Five dollars in a national football contest. Not that we know a damn thing about football. It's just that we enter any contest we hear about. At the moment, our hopes are centered on the $50,000 grand prize being offered to name a new brand of coffee. We suggested AM, and after some hesitation, for my friend thought it was perhaps sacrilegious, the slogan, A.M. Amen. Well, to tell the truth, our only really profitable enterprise was the Fun and Freak Museum we conducted in a backyard woodshed two summers ago. The fun was a stereo-opticon with slide views of Washington and New York lent to us by a relative who'd been to those places. She was furious when she discovered why we borrowed it. The freak was a three-legged biddy chicken hatched by one of our own hens. Everybody hereabouts wanted to see that biddy. We charged grown-ups a nickel, kids two cents. Took a good twenty dollars before the museum shut down due to the decease of the main attraction. But one way and another, we do each year accumulate Christmas savings, a fruitcake fund. These monies we keep hidden in an ancient bead purse, under a loose board, under the floor, under a chamber pot, under my friend's bed. The purse is seldom removed from this safe location except to make a deposit or, as happens every Saturday, a withdrawal. For on Saturdays, I am allowed ten cents to go to the picture show. My friend has never seen a picture show, nor does she intend to. I'd rather hear you tell the story, buddy. That way I can imagine it more. Besides, a person my age shouldn't squander their eyes. When the Lord comes, let me see him clear. In addition to never having seen a movie, she has never eaten in a restaurant, traveled more than five miles from home, received or sent a telegram, read anything except the funny papers and the Bible, worn cosmetics, cursed, wished someone harm, told a lie on purpose, let a hungry dog go hungry. Here are a few things she has done. 
killed a, with a hoe the biggest rattlesnake ever seen in this county. Sixteen rattles. Dip snuff, secretly. Tamed hummingbirds, just try it, till they balanced on her finger. Tell ghost stories. We both believe in ghosts. So tingling, they'll chill you in July. Talks to herself, takes walks in the rain, grows the prettiest japonicas in town, knows the recipe for every sort of old-time Indian cure, including a magical wart remover. Well, now with supper finished, we retire to the room in a faraway part of the house where my friend sleeps in a scrap quilt-covered iron bed painted rose pink, her favorite color. Silently, wallowing in the pleasures of conspiracy, we take the bead purse from its secret place and spill its content on the scrap quilt. Dollar bills, tightly rolled and green as May buds. Lovely dimes, the liveliest coin. The one that really jingles. Nickels and quarters worn smooth as creek pebbles, but mostly a hateful heap of bitter-odored pennies. Last summer, others in the house contracted to pay us one penny for every 25 flies we killed. Oh, the carnage of August. The flies that flew to heaven. Yet it wasn't work in which we took pride. As we sit counting pennies, it is as though we were back tabulating dead flies. Neither of us has a head for figures. We count slowly, lose track, start again. According to her calculations, we have $12.73. According to mine, exactly $13. Oh, I do hope you're wrong, buddy. We can't mess around with 13 The cakes will fall or put somebody in the cemetery. Why, I wouldn't dream of getting out of bed on the 13th. Now, this is true. She always spends thirteenths in bed. So, to be on the safe side, we subtract a penny and toss it out the window. Of all the ingredients that go into our fruitcakes, whiskey is the most expensive, as well as the hardest to obtain. And coming up on our next stream, we'll continue the story. Of a Christmas Memory by Truman Capote. Love this story. It's one of my favorites. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we're a little early tonight, but that's okay. I will see you again on Wednesday night. We'll talk about more cool, interesting stuff. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can PM me. You can also send us an email, show at jsheldon.com. I reply to all your messages and emails, and uh, we really appreciate hearing from you. Thanks so much. I'll see you again Wednesday night. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night.